question time for Lyndon. I have been really struggling. We're, we're in the middle of James. We're starting James 5, and I was kind of like, oh, God, could you just like send your spirit and have like chaos break out so I don't have to do this sermon? So um, chaos hasn't broken out yet. You've got about 30 seconds if you'd like to start it. But um, otherwise, we're going to carry on with James. Um, and so I was, I was actually talking with someone this week about, about James and how the series itself has felt like we, I feel like we almost kind of need a bit of a break because James is pretty full on. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be like, let's do James again, because um, it just feels like a lot. Maybe to some of you. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't remember it from the time I walk out the door, so no, I'm all right, thanks. But, but anyway... Um, for me, in this place, and for the person I was talking to this week, they were like, yeah, it just feels like an, a whole lot. And James is like really full on and kind of in your face. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of it. And he doesn't seem to pull any punches. And, and it's sort of, it's, it's, it's a whole lot. And so this morning, it is no different. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to James 5, take a deep breath. And I'm going to read. We're going to do um, 1 to 12 today, and then Maz is going to finish our series next week um, with the, the last part of, of James 5. So you've got you know, today and one more week, and then we'll, um, and then we'll do something else. But um, yeah, so Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, um, for those times when we when we embrace it and think, oh, how lovely it is, and, and then for the times when it feels really harsh and hard, um, the truth of it is that it is all good. Like you have our, you love us, and you want um, all the good and blessing that you have um, in store for us. And so this morning, God, would we see your heart um, through, through James and just pray a blessing over each of us. Amen. So James 5, now look here, you rich, weep and wail for the horrible things that are going to happen to you. Your rich, it gets better. Your riches have rotted and your clothing have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will bear witness against you and eat up your flesh like fire. You have stored up riches. You have stored up riches in the last day. Look, you cheated the workers who mowed your fields by keeping back their wages, and those wages have cried are crying out. The cries of the farmers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived off the fat of the land in the lap of luxury. You have fattened yourself, fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. You have condemned the righteous one and killed him, and he doesn't, and he didn't resist you. And so um, I'm going to do this in two parts. That's that's one to six. Um, and and really, so so James is talking about the the heading in my translation is the warning to the rich. And you know, I I think whenever we talk about money, there's always, or whenever scripture talks about money and possessions, and, and in this case, what James is calling the rich, um, there, there's always so many, many layers and levels to it than that. And it's kind of, in many ways, it's, I kind of wrote down, you know, it's not about how much money or possessions you have, it's about how much of your money and possessions have you. 
And so, so James is speaking to the rich, and, and in his context, in, in this early church in Jerusalem, he is speaking specifically to um, the Sadducees and the chief priests. They're sort of the religious elite. Um, they're the people who, have, who sold out their own people. They are the people who, who used the system of their day, the Roman Empire, for, as their example, to profit for themselves at the direct expense of the poorest, of the most vulnerable, of the most helpless. And so we can sit here and say 2,000 plus years later, there aren't any Sadducees or chief priests in the house, I don't think, so we're off the hook. I wish. I wish it would be. Um, but as, as my friend often says, is there's nothing new under the sun. You know, like people, we've, we've changed so much, but we haven't changed at all. You know, people, human nature. And the, and the thirst for power, the thirst for control, the desire for privilege in this life is, is still a very powerful underlying unspoken goal and purpose for, for many people today. We still live in a system, not the Roman Empire, thankfully, but we still live in an economic system or a social system um, today that is still overwhelmingly tipped in the favor of a very small very privileged minority. We could call them the rich of today. And that very small minority still have an incredible power over a very large majority of the poor, of the vulnerable, of the powerless. And to live in that system or to take advantage of that system and to, to reap the benefits of that system today makes a mockery of Jesus' life, of his teachings, of his death, and of his resurrection. Not to mention that it is in absolute, complete opposition to the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to announce. Are you getting why I was hoping for chaos and the outworking? You know, it's hard. If we are, in fact, Christ's church, we have to continue to speak out against the wickedness that we see in these verses in James, that we see in ourselves, that we see in, in the systems of, of this age, of our, our world. We have to continue to turn the light of those things onto ourselves, onto the way we do life. 
We have to be aware of those decisions where we, where we knowingly or unknowingly collude or partnership with and profit from that type of corruption. And we have to do that because what, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's wrong. I love N.T. Wright um, in, in his commentary on, on James. It's this. He says this. It was this behavior, it was behavior like this, sorry, that, that hardened the hearts of those leaders. That is that colluding with the, the systems of the day. That's the profiting, it's the getting rich, it's the embracing the privilege of, uh, at the expense of the vulnerable. He says that it's that kind of decision that has hardened their hearts of those leaders to the point that it made killing Jesus seem not only right, but easy and natural. And the second way, the second reason is, one, one as I said, is because it's wrong. It's wrong for them. It's wrong for, for the weak, for, the, for those who, who, are in, who are vulnerable, who are powerless, who are voiceless. But, but it, man, it destroys us. It hardens us. It, it takes us further than we ever, ever could imagine in our worst nightmare. And the second reason is this, that is that it is in direct violation of God's truth, of the certainty of the coming of his kingdom. That, that when God's kingdom comes, when his rule and reign is, is come, like we know that God's kingdom has come when Jesus came, but we know that his kingdom comes in its fullness when he comes again. And when he comes again and everything is put to right is when we see when we, if we partner with that system, the system of privilege, the system of taking advantage of the weak, that we find ourselves, like Jesus said to, to the rich young ruler, we, they send them away empty-handed. That your choices have made made you in a place that you've, you've can't, you can't hold anything of God's kingdom if you embrace a system like that. And so why? Why all of this warning? And so as we go through, we're gonna, I want to read the next part of, of James 5, which is sort of this... It's almost a, a, a bit of a, um, the why behind James's stark um, and harsh criticism or, or sort of warning, I guess, of the first part of James 5. And it's this, so we're going to pick up in verse 7. So be patient, my dear brothers and sisters. So in the light of everything, in the light of, of being in the midst of a corrupt System, a an area where where we see they see so many people, some people taking advantage of that to their own end, but so many others who are being who are being um, taken advantage of, who are the little they have being taken even more from them, being persecuted, being hurt um, by their own people. 
And so James is saying, so what? So be patient, my brothers and sisters, for the appearing of the Lord, for the coming of his kingdom. Wait for it. You know how a farmer waits for the valuable crop to come from the ground. He is patient over it, waiting for it to receive the early rain and then the late rain. And in our case, the middle rain, the afternoon rain, the early evening rain, the early, early morning rain. Sorry, it's just me. I shouldn't. I couldn't. That's probably the other reason why I was hoping for an outbreak of chaos, that I didn't have to talk about rain. But anyway, so he waits for it, for it to receive the early rain and then the late rain. In the same way, you must be patient. Make your heart strong, because the appearing of the Lord is near at hand. Do not grumble against one another, my brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the gates. I'll keep reading. Consider the prophets, my brothers and sisters, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take them as an example of long-suffering and patience. When people endure, we call them blessed by God. Well, you have heard of the endurance of Job, and you saw the Lord's ultimate purpose. The Lord is deeply compassionate and kind. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear Do not swear by heaven and do not swear by earth. Don't use any other oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That way you will not fall under judgment. And so I just just wanted to um, just give a little bit of, um, this is kind of a really great framework into our next series, which we're going to be leaning into one another, the one another's of Scripture. So all throughout the New Testament, we have these invitations or commandments or what not to do in relation to one another's. This is is one in here. Um, Be patient with one another. and so, so we, we look forward to those. But in the time that we have left, and I want to actually invite a bit of a ministry time as well, is just reminding us of the difficulty of waiting. The, it, is, it is something that we, I think as time has gone on, have, have become more and more unaccustomed to having to wait. We, we have all of the information of the world in our pockets, and if it takes a point millisecond slower than we think it should, we're, we're you know, deeply persecuted and very, you know, we're, we're in line for the next upgrade of our phone or whatever it is. But, but there is still something incredibly powerful and redemptive about waiting. And yet, it's so difficult. I think, I think of, of anything I've ever had to journey with, and this isn't an invitation for any more, the seasons of waiting have been the hardest. 
where, where you are, you've done all you can do and waiting is what's left. Heaps of you know I'm a gardener, and, and the great thing is about it, I, I just put some snow peas in a couple of weeks ago in, into my vegetable garden, and, and the great thing is about that is you kind of know within a week or two they're going to start seeing bits and pieces popping up. And so even in that, there isn't, a, um, there isn't the, the pang of waiting because you kind of know how long the process is going to take. Um, what I did do for this year for the first time is plant um, some red onions, and I've never done onions before. And so I had no idea how long they take. So I, was, I sort of had this in my head, but I was kind of paralleling it with how, how the uncertainty of like, well, did I do it right? Should, they be, should I see something by now? Is it, has it all worked? Is it all been a complete failure? Um, am I going to ever get red onions? Is it a waste of time and energy and money? Do, do you know what I mean? Like how many of you can relate to a season of waiting in life where you're, you're just wrestling with those things of not knowing what's next? And so what I wanted to do this morning is actually... I think part of the reason why James is so forthright and, so, and his warnings are so stark is that so much is at stake. You know, we, we are just as likely or almost probably more likely to buy into the lie of our money and our possessions being more than they really actually are. That somehow what we have in our, in our possessions, in our abilities, in our money, is going to be enough. And yet they are just such a cruel substitute for all that God has for you. All that God has for us. I think it really is why James is so, so blunt and so in our face. Is that we have to continue to be people who, not, who do not invest, who do not strive for the here and now, but strive for the kingdom to come. That we invest in God's kingdom that is coming. That we put our trust and our hope in a kingdom that is coming. So what I'd like to do is if you are here this morning and you are in a season of waiting and there are parts of your life where you are waiting to see, longing to see, frustrated to see um, God move or for him to speak, um, I'd like you to just stand and come forward. And then we're going to pray for you in that season. James is very clear that, that our getting through this time, our success in this time involves one another. That we will not be able to do this on our own. 
I'm going to keep talking until those people get up and come forward, but I'm not going to make it any easier. Because it's not easy. I'm channeling the harsh James of our scripture, but like it's hard. So now we have got our friends, all of you, who have been brave enough and courageous enough to respond. So what I'd like for us to do is to stand and respond by getting alongside them. Maybe if we have some music or someone with a guitar just to play a bit of quiet. And in the few minutes we have left, what I'd like for us to do is pray um, pray strength over them. So that what that means for you is to stand up now and come alongside the people that have responded and pray a blessing over them. You don't have to know what to say. You don't know, have to know what to do. All you need to do is come alongside. If you don't know them, maybe ask if you can put a hand on their shoulder. I don't need you to ask a big details around what it is that their sort of waiting is embodied. And then what I want you to do is just pray for God's spirit, for his comfort, and for his presence for them in their waiting.